Shooters Connection offers products for competition shooters by competition shooters. With over 80 years of combined competition shooting experience, Shooters Connection is staffed by master and grandmaster shooters who live the shooting sports every day. Every day. We offer same-day shipping. Shooters Connection also sponsors over 100 of your matches every single year. So when it comes to finding everything you need to compete as a beginner or a seasoned grandmaster, Shooters Connection is the only name you need to know. Online at ShootersConnectionStore.com. Okay. Yeah. Welcome back to the Hit Factor. We have a banging crew tonight. Mr. Jeff Cawthon putting down his his... Aspartame cancer juice looks like we oh, have Mr. Some... Potato. This is what a is it? Key, key lime vanilla flavored water. Yeah, there's no aspartame in here. Unfortunately, I'm sh- I'm actually I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked at that, uh, Mr. Potato uh, from Maine, and myself, the fake Jeremy Reed. We have the fake <laughs> and the real Jeremy Reed tonight. From dumb I, mean, I guess I guess the real Jeremy Reed does have a pretty banging mustache too. He just kind of covers it up with the beard. I think you should. I think real Jeremy should cut the whole beard off except for the mustache. Just go a straight straight mustache. When was the last time you saw I your chin? My wife with that many times. What Jeff? When was the last time you saw your chin? I was clean shaven in 2016 (laughs) for like once. And I was clean shaven in 2007 once. And other than that, it's 1999. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. That's, that is, that is, uh, I think we can all aspire to be more like that. I don't know if our wives will appreciate that, but we can aspire to be more like that at least. When I did uh, last shave, my wife would wake up during the night and feel like there was a stranger in bed next to her. And she's like, (laughs) let it grow back. (laughs) That was 15 years ago. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, If, you know, for the video viewers on YouTube, I I couldn't cover my face if I wanted to because you can see the tiny little like stubble that's on my chin and that's it. Cause like everything over here, there's too much uh, Indian in my blood. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Native American, uh, not, not Indian. We can't say that. Right. I'm pretty sure have... you can say whatever you want. Like that's the whole point. I don't know. <laughs> Jeff's lives. Jeff basically lives in the middle of reservation. So he knows what's <laughs> probably right or not. Right. I live in uh, Chickasaw country. Chickasaw Choctaw country. Yeah. So, but he's not correct to me. So I guess I'll say whatever I want. All right. So, uh, last weekend, uh, big match up in Billings, Montana. I really wished I could have gone to this match. And apparently I should have just got on the wait list because it was area one and area one did what was a little bit unique this year. And that, they opened up to area one residents only for the first, I don't know, month of registration. I don't know how long it was. We'll just call it a month. And before they open it up to anybody outside of area one, which that's a, 
know, that's unique. It's unique. It's area one championship. Mm -hmm. So it should have area one residents be able to shoot it. And it sold out to, to area one residents before it opened to anybody else. And so I kind of, I kind of just took it off my radar. It's like, man, if that's the case, there's, there's no chance of getting in. Well, after looking at results and stuff, apparently there were a lot of people that got in that were, that were not from area one. Hmm. And maybe there were some sponsor slots that a lot of those were on, but there were, there were quite a few names that were not area one residents. And I know, I know my buddy, Bob, who we'll talk about later, he got on, he got in and he, he actually signed up fairly late on the, the wait list and still, still got through on the wait list. So I think there's, I guess, a lot of people out there that sign up for matches. They think they want to shoot and then don't end up being able to make it. And that kind of makes sense. Like sign up for everything you think you want to, and then pull out later, I guess. Just because that's I the mean, only way to have an option. Some percentage of your match fee at that point. Yeah, usually so. Depending on how early or late you pull out, usually you've got a, a bit of a grace period, and then once it's close to to match day, you're giving up fifty percent, or maybe even maybe even all of it. You may not even get any of your your match feedback. So, yeah. but it was every one match. Uh, there were some really fascinating results there. Real quickly, Aaron Edens won open. And Eric Steiner was second. I'm going off memory right now. Eric Steiner was second at I think 95 percent ish. Oh, um, Steiner was third. Uh, Steiner was third. Uh, Sammy Nelson was second, also at 95, 96 percent. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I I hadn't. I guess I didn't see that that result. We did have Casey Asubio. Well, again, this is the second major match or. It's a continuing a trend where Casey Usubio won limited optics and beat all the other carry optics shooters by eight percent by a lot. Yeah, this was actually, you know, it kind of. I felt like Casey almost flew under the radar in this match. Kind of, he hasn't been shooting much lately, but then shooting LO and there wasn't a lot of competition in LO for him necessarily. But yeah, he he stomped. Uh, the shooters in in CO and that's that's Tom Castro, that's Isaac Lockwood. Those are good. They're good shooters. They're very very quality shooters. And and Casey shot really well, wasn't he? Around ninety five percent of Edens of Aaron. Yep. In the overall, I think he yeah. Was second in the he was second in the match in the overall. Yeah, uh, I had a I had a buddy that went in and and changed his his hits to change his scoring to major okay obviously he's shooting minor um but mm -hmm. did, doesn't have a comp or anything and he would have won the match by two or three percent i think if with hmm. that so yeah casey actually hit, shot a really really good match so I, I don't know you know casey's shoots for taurus now and and is busy doing Looks like he's busy doing sponsor things. He's a lot more active in the yeah. social media and and hunting and and that side of promoting that part of Taurus. And so I was, you know, he hasn't been he as active Taurus, shooting. Was he shooting a Taurus uh, no, or that, was he shooting a Limcat? I'm I'm pretty sure that was a Limcat of some kind. It yeah. was not. It was not a Taurus. So 
they may, might have said Taurus on the slide. That's <laughs> That's been known to happen. That uh, used to be a thing in tennis, is it used to be people would play with their favorite racket, and then they would get painted by you know their sponsor. Yeah. I was like, so-and-so swinging a prince. It's like, that doesn't look like a prince. Yeah, so that happens That happens in USPSA, too, uh, especially kind of in the the guys who shoot, well, historically in the past, the guys who shoot open but are sponsored by kind of a factory gun type person will get a gun built and then put the their sponsor on the side of the gun type thing. So I, I don't know if this was monogrammed Taurus or not on the side, but it, it the picture I saw, it was definitely, or video I saw, it was definitely a limb cat, which they're fairly uh, distinctual. Yeah, it's a limb cat, and he's... Like he shows it's a limb cat in his Instagram. So, yeah. 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 Somebody sent me a clip of him just before the match doing some standards, uh, stronghand yeah. weekend, looking very, very sporty. That's a cool looking gun, too. Yeah. So that, that was, that was, I thought that was a pretty notable, a notable performance. I hope we're going to see some more of Casey competing more in the future because uh, he's you know i i was talking to a buddy about kc i don't think kc has been in our top 10 or 12 in our power rankings yet and no. that's it's actually a little bit surprising because he's really really good and has been historically really good in the sport he just hasn't been super active lately in the past few years and so yeah i'd love to see him be mm-hmm. be a lot more active if he can And then uh, Nils won production, which was, I mean, no shocker. I, if I remember right, by quite a lot. I don't think there was anybody. 15%. Okay. Yeah. N- nobody pushing him. Nobody pushing him in, in production. But the interesting thing of note is Elias was there shooting single stack. And Elias yeah. actually finished ahead of Nils. With Elias shooting single stack major, Nils shooting production minor, obviously. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see that, especially as as we're coming up to nationals. To see someone who's going to be there, that historic, like honestly, since I've been in the sport, Elias hasn't been super active. Like he shows up to nationals essentially, and. In in my opinion or my observation, he shows up uh, late and unprepared, and <laughs> so to see him show up at a match like this, uh, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him do it since since I've been shooting and to do this well. So I think it's going to make nationals very interesting because that was a fantastic performance. If it he does. shoots like that at nationals, you guys should be scared. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not scared, but interested. Scared. Well, you should be scared, <laughs> Jeff. Jeremy's got this, but you yeah. should be scared. Elias right. doesn't scare me. I'm not scared of Elias. <laughs> I've shot with him enough. But yeah, no. I mean, they, so the only other match I saw him shoot this year was probably Western States. He shot Western States. He shot Arizona Classic. Uh, okay. So, uh, in this year, Northern Arizona. Yeah, he shot that. This oh, North, year. the Northern Arizona, Northern oh, yeah. Arizona Prescott. Classic. Yeah, yeah. yep. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he lives up. He lives or used to live. I'm pretty sure, like up in 
Prescott area. He didn't live in Phoenix. Um, so, no, he's been more active this year, and I feel like these – I thought I saw him at another match somewhere else, but I could be – I could just be misremembering. But he's been more active this year than I've seen him in a while. So do you so, think yeah. that he has the same idea that that we talked about when we talked about nationals, like the window's kind of wide open? Like, do you think that's what he's thinking? Yes, Hundred yeah. percent. He he has a world title in classic, but he's never won nationals, and he's had a few opportunities where it has been a bit open that he hasn't that he hasn't capitalized. And like sometimes when he was maybe, you know, the mm-hmm. the last couple of years that Rob won, Elias yeah. maybe should have been kind of the favorite going into that, and and he, like you said, he kind of showed up and wasn't really prepared. And you know, yeah. I don't know what his I don't know what his life situation was at that point with job or, or whatnot. That may have that may have been other things that just basically showing up to the match was was as good as he could do. You know, I, I just don't know. Um but yeah, he hasn't won one and so I think he very much wants one. You're also seeing this is you're seeing the influence at the top of our sport. You're gonna be seeing the influence of the world shoot. And the 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 qualifying teams for the world shoot. There's yeah. there's going to be people that are interested in that, and so you're seeing them put in effort here because, like Bob Crow, uh, I know is one like he he really wants to make the limited or standard world shoot team, so he's putting in effort into it this year, and that's just that's. I think that's you're seeing from Elias. He wants to make sure he makes the world shoot team. So he needs to, you know, the the last three years, nationals haven't meant anything as far as world shoot qualifying points. It's been a long time since that has actually mattered for that. And Uh, so. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, 2019 was the last time there was the world shoot qualifying match. Yep. And so you're you're seeing that a little bit. Uh, and how people are are preparing for for nationals and just preparing to shoot like they want to be on top of their game because they want to make a world shoot team like it's just a really yeah. it, it's just a really really cool experience like I, wh- whether you're whether you barely get in on a a no name division like classic like I did or whether you are on the hottest contested division i assume that's going to be production optics for the next one i assume that'll be the deepest deepest field but like it's just cool to make a world shoot team and so i think you're going to see people preparing for that as best they can and that's going to be really interesting with uh ipsc nationals coming six months apart november and april uh east coast west coast i mean well east coast and then arizona right and that it is it is very interesting because how they for the people who don't know how they do the points you have four matches that are qualifying matches the USPSA Nationals and IPSC Nationals in 2023 and 2024 per, per division you, you kind of have to pick your division at at IPSC Nationals which one it's going to be and they'll take your they will take your total percentage of your three best scores from those matches and so 
it's actually pretty interesting because oftentimes your scores, you really need to shoot the Ipsig Nationals because there's less heat at those at that match because it's really only the people that are vying for those spots and not all the best shooters are always vying for those spots in all the divisions, right? Mm -hmm. Like so classic Ipsig Nationals classic tends to have less heat in it there may be a lot of good shooters, but less top end heat than single stack nationals might have. And so you really kind of got to pick and choose, make sure, at least make sure that you're shooting the Ipsic matches. Uh, Cause that may, might be your best chance to get the most points. To get yeah. two, well, two and the people who want, who want production optics slots. So you go to carry optics nationals with 500 shooters and you know, I would say 50% of the best shooters in the game shot the last carry optics nationals. You really want to go to those Ipsic nationals matches because they're going to have to spread out across the other divisions they're, they're interested in. Correct. So you're going to have a much, much thinner production optics field. And so those two Ipsic nationals are way more important than, than trying to pick up the points from carry optics nationals. Yeah, mm -hmm. very much so. Uh, and that, and it makes it really interesting how they pair up or don't pair up. USPSA nationals matches makes it really makes it really interesting on the, on that front. And why I wished it was, I wish they had a more consistent layout for what they did year to year on that. Just my own personal selfish reasons there. Well, I yeah. think the production optics team will be settled by next June because you will have had the two USPSA nationals and the two IPSC nationals all in one calendar year. Are they doing? Are they doing CO Nationals in June again next year? Has that been announced? Not officially, but that's um, highly rumored by hmm. our very porous uh, board. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's really, honestly, it's really too bad for for the CO guys. I I feel I feel for you guys. Uh, I guess what they'll do is they'll have CO in June and then have LO later on. So then all the CO people just get two Nationals. That makes sense. There you go. Well, we, we maybe we can figure out a way to get a third. Right, maybe so. Well, we have Ipsic, I guess. Then there's there's Ipsic where they can they can do that. Um, so anyway, that that's that's the interesting thing to be watching this year, which really brings us to what was the deepest and I think the most interesting division, which was limited at at area one, and. Yeah. Joey Sauerland continues his trend. Yep. You know, he's he, – he, as far as, like, power rankings and whatever go, you know, we're – there's nobody that's honestly hotter right now in the country than Joey Sauerland, at least with an Ironside gun. He's won every area match so far this year. Am I correct? You are correct. Isn't that, isn't that right? So, and – you know, the, the previous area matches in limited, okay, maybe they weren't like the deepest fields, but he had legit competition here. Joey Sauerland was first at 100%. John Browning at just under 96%. Robert Crow at just under 95%. Gianni Giordano uh, at 92.5%. Like, those are, some, those are some big names. And Joey just shot, and, it, and he was uh, my – he was fourth he's, overall. He's seconds, yeah, and he's he's eight seconds faster than anybody else in the division, and he shot as many points as everybody underneath him. 
Yeah, and and he was fourth overall in the match at ninety five and a half percent of Aaron Eden's shooting open. That's that's pretty ridiculous to be yeah, to be honest that's... at that point. I think he won eight of fourteen stages as well. He won eight. He won eight stages. Uh, I know Bob won three. I didn't look to see how many Browning won. I would be surprised. Browning's got one. Browning's two. got two. And I would probably assume, without looking, that Gianni uh, had the other one. But you uh, are correct. Yeah. So. I mean, hats off to to Sauerland. He's shooting really well. We need to have him on the podcast. Uh, just talk about his shooting. Talk about his. Uh, Jeff wants to talk to him about bodybuilding more than shooting. I think. I mean, I I am interested to hear his like physical training and and how we think it has impacted his shooting. Uh, I would suspect that he's quite positive about it, but I do think it would be a good conversation. As like really at the top end of the sport, everybody's in like decent shape, but no one's like a fitness freak, I guess is what you could say. Um, and you know, that no. might just be, that might just be because um, it takes a certain amount of of time and dedication to a certain thing to get good at it. And if you're doing that to shooting, it's hard to also do that to fitness. So that could be a reason, but um, I would say like at the top of the sport, he's probably like the fittest dude at the top of the sport right now. So it would be a good conversation to have with him. I think. He could be, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I know that he was into bodybuilding prior to shooting i don't know if he's still if he still maintains that i i don't know yeah we just need Um, to get him on but yeah incredible performance from him uh for sure john browning i i still say i don't think i've seen anybody finish second place more Mm -hmm. at a match than john browning i mean just consistently he is just always always shoots really solid and is right there. Um, but is usually second mm-hmm. place. And I'd still love to see him win a nationals. I, I, I would really love to see him win a nationals. And then we got my buddy, Bob is third and look, Bob, I'm going to talk about Bob cause I can talk about Bob and I, cause I can talk more cause I've talked with him since he shot the match and stuff. But, uh, I said it before, he's going to be a problem for the limited shooters. And I know he's sitting at five and a half percent back and it looks like he kind of got, kind of got, you know, that he wasn't all that close, but his day two, he shot completely even with Sauerland on day two. He had three stages on day one that were at 75%. One of them was his first stage of the match and it was a plank stage. And there was a two by six that was from his, from what he, his vantage point was, it was basically a two by six that was just sitting directly on the ground. And he hung a toe off of the end of it and got a procedural. And he's spending the whole time trying to not hang a toe off of it. When you have 
basically a size 18 shoe, a two by six, it don't fit on a two by six, especially if it's only an inch and a half or less off the ground at that point. Mm, um, yeah. That would so, be tough. Which actually, so this is, this is a, a frustration that stage should have been thrown out because there was a guy on, on that squad that shot it and he ended up shooting a position and there was a toe hanging down or a heel that was touching the ground and, and they gave him a procedural. Well, they gave him a procedural for every shot fired. That's not a correct ruling on that. He wasn't, at, he wasn't like bracing himself. He wasn't like taking a wider stance. He wasn't, he wasn't gaining a sort of competitive advantage. That's one procedural per occurrence. That's not a procedural per shot fired. Well, the ROs on the stage did, and they called the RM because the, the guy that did this was like a C-class shooter. He didn't know. And Bob's sitting there telling him like, Hey, you need to call the RM. They're going to, they're going to hang you for a whole bunch more procedures than you have. They call the RM. I think it was Carl Schmidt, if I remember right. And he's like, no, that's a, it's a one procedural per occurrence. And that's, that's how they scored it. And the arrow's mm -hmm. like, well, that's not how we've scored it the whole match. We've, we've been giving it a procedural per for the whole match. Well, at that point, that, that stage has to get thrown out. Like there's, there should have been, it should have just been instant and immediate. As soon as the arrow said that the, the stage is gone. There, it's inconsistent so and incorrect scoring across it. They had been scoring the procedure for each shot. Each shot, correct. Yep. Okay. And, and and in an instance like that, that's what the the rules around significant advantage is the rule book language. Mm -hmm. And so, without a significant advantage, then violating the fault line is a single procedural. Yeah, yeah. It is not a per shot. That's one of the most misunderstood and misapplied. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Foot faults in general are kind of the bane of my existence because almost every single procedural I've seen given, it conferred no advantage to the shooter. It was just a low fault line where the ground had piled up or it was wet and it was slick. I mean, and so it wasn't, they weren't in control of their body and it's their responsibility to know the fault lines. It was really poor stage construction. And they touched, you know, the floor is lava and they touched the floor. Yeah. Like, it didn't, it didn't affect their shooting positively in any way. Yeah. yeah. Right. At major and, matches. Yeah. And that's honestly like, that's kind of my issue with this one. This is really on the stage setup crew and that they built a plank stage where the plank was virtually on the ground. It's like, you gotta, if you want to have that much of a distinction, you got to give them at least three or four inches. You got to build that up a bit so that there's, there's at least a, a, a decent distinction between where the ground is and where that plank is. In, yeah, the, in my opinion, somebody I, with, I think this, you get somebody with big feet and they're, you know, right. Their foot's going to wrap around that plank, give them a little bit of a height. So their toes don't drag the ground. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And apparently it had some that stage had some really difficult shooting as well. Like mm -hmm. like 20 yard zebra targets when you're trying to stand, balance on a on a plank type deal. Again, I wasn't there but that was that was the report that I got. Um so but but Bob is you know it's interesting. I this was interesting cuz I was talking with Bob. You know, Bob kind of 
he had some physical stuff with his back, uh, and and kind of just took a little bit of a break from shooting a few years ago, and hadn't shot hadn't shot a whole lot. And again, the the whole Ipsic thing and World Shoot Slots coming out, but he has a pretty interesting perspective because he came into the sport and pretty much maybe not quite the trajectory that Sauerland's on, but he went like his he shot nationals. He walked on to nationals when you could do that, like in Vegas. He walked on, actually shot on the B Super Squad, and then but shot his way onto the Super Squad and has never shot. The only time he's not been on a Super Squad at a nationals because he had missed the previous year's nationals. Otherwise, he's always shot into his into his his way into a Super Squad. Uh, so he's had a he's had a really good look at at the top of the sport, and he's. He's like, man, like the speed that the kids are shooting at nowadays, like it's different than it was 10 years ago. Mm. Like what, what, what was winning in this sport 10 years ago is not good enough. Like you have to be faster. You have to take risk. And, and so that's, you know, you look at Bob scores and he's actually had quite a few deltas, which is really weird for him. It's because he's pushing and he knows that he's like, that's kind of where some of his arrows came from. I have to push to try to keep up with, with the Joey yeah. Sauerlands and the Scott Browns of the world. Like they're just, they're really fast. And so uh, it's pretty fascinating to hear that, that that's, you know, the, the sport is progressing, which is really cool to hear. Yeah. we're uh, So at, at uh, area three, we're going to get to see uh, Sauerland and, and Scott go head to head, right? So it, yeah. Limited at area three is stacked. It's it's the same. You got the same four guys that were at Area One. So you got Sauerland, John Browning, Bob Crow, and uh, Gianni, Giordano. They're they're mm-hmm. all there. And then, man, I had the list typed up because I'd sent it to some people. Uh, Scott, uh, Manny Bragg, Cody Axon, Paul Clark Jr., Brandon Ness. There's. It's a deep field. That's the, in that's, limited. that's the most I've seen in limited at an area match in a long time. We yeah. could uh we could damn near do predictions on that field. That's uh that's deep. Oh yeah. It, it's I, I mean it's it's in, it's I I love because limited is kind of since since CO's takeover, limited has kind of been mm-hmm. suppressed. And yeah. it's like man you get you get one person like Sauerland that's just really hot and really shooting well. And all of a sudden the division gets a whole lot more interesting, right? Because there's other yeah. guys who are really good in it, but it, it just, but, but having one or two that are really good doesn't make it interesting. But then you add, you have those people and you add a sour into it. And then now yeah. we're getting to add Bob back into it. And, and yeah, no, that's, that, that division that's, is really interesting. Uh, that's true though. Like, you get one person that's just crazy good and get them to do what Sauerland is doing in the division, like go across the country and shoot every area match and just mm-hmm. pummel everybody. And it draws a lot of attention to the division. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. And those late season area matches, if people weren't signed up, they're going to now because they want to shoot against the hotness. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, sh- Sauerland, Look, you don't talk about a perfect game, but let's start talking about it. Uh, he's won every area match so far. If he wins area three, 
he's going to be almost a prohibitive favorite for nationals in limited as far as who I've seen signed up. Mm. And, you know, so could he win all the area matches and nationals in, in limited? That would be a really impressive feat. I don't know if he signed up for area two or not, but. I'm sure he is at this point. How I mean, when when you have an unbroken area streak, you got to sign up to the last one. I yeah, I think so. And it's hard to get I into. I know he signed though, up right? for area eight. Yeah, area eight in uh, last weekend of August. Okay, I was wondering what what the other. He is signed up for area eight. He was okay. last I checked. Yeah, mm-hmm. so area two is hard to get into. I would guess he's. He's got enough connections at this point. He's still relatively new, but he's, I bet it would guess he's got enough connections at this point. He can get a slot into it. Uh, I'm sure MPA can find a slot. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, definitely a way to make that happen. So that's, I'm really looking forward to that race at area three and we'll get to see, we'll get to see a bit of it. I mean, we'll see, we'll have Bob on our stage. Scott Brown, I think is a, is a squad behind us at area three. So we'll kind of be able to keep tabs on him as well, and yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be fun to watch. That is. Hmm. So speaking of area three, it's gonna be it's gonna be the hotness. Jeff and I are racing, and uh, mm-hmm. that's gonna be yeah. interesting. Because du- Jeff duathlon. is shooting major. Yeah, well, yeah, the, there's the duathlon aspect. Jeff's shooting major. I'm shooting <laughs> minor. I don't know how much we covered of that before. But uh, that that's going to be an interesting wrinkle as far as, like, we're shooting head-to-head, but we're mm-hmm. shooting different games a little bit, right? Like, we're not. Can, do, so I got a question for you first, then, Jeremy. Do you take advantage of minor? in terms of strategy, not just in terms of, you know, recoil mitigation and uh, like the security, but in terms of strategy, are you looking at places where you're saying, Hey, I'm shooting to 11 here because I can. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to like, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to try to shoot to 11 such unless it's just an opportunity where you kind of have to. I, I try. I mean, I try to avoid that. Like, I try if I'm shooting major, I avoid shooting to nine. If I'm shooting mine, I'm gonna avoid shooting eleven. If I'm shooting limit, I'm gonna avoid shooting a twenty-one. Uh, if I if I can or twenty-two. But sometimes you and just got to shot do it. open. You'd avoid shooting to twenty-nine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, so I'm not necessarily gonna be looking for. I'm not gonna try to force that issue. But I. I will be surprised if there are not just places where Jeff ends up with a few extra reloads throughout the match because he's shooting major. And, and there's probably, I'm, I'm hoping the sages have come out, but I haven't looked at them. I'm hoping there'll be places where probably maybe I can blend some positions a little bit more because I'm not having to make that mag change or I can make it in a little different place. Just having those extra two rounds, you can, you know, maybe take a target coming in or coming out that that you can't because you're you don't have the rounds to do that. So that that's kind of that's kind of is is a hope that you see, but it always you never know how the how the stage setup comes out. 
it just depends on how the stage setup is. I've seen some matches yeah. that I thought, man, this is a massive advantage for 10 round gun. And I've seen some that's like, it doesn't matter if you have 10 rounds, you're shooting the exact same plan as the eight round guys, no matter what. So if you're shooting yeah. the same plans as the eight round guys, I, I'd be mad at the stage designers because that means they've created a bunch of eight round positions. Correct. Right. Yeah. And if so there's that, not three and five round positions and then three where you, you start thinking about where you can connect things, where you can keep the gun up, where mm-hmm. you can sort of have the gun on your eye line as you're doing a short shuffle, where if if it's shoot eight, reload, shoot eight, reload, and you have to do that with a production gun or a single stack minor gun, that's that's a little disappointing. You don't want to see that at a major match. No, and, and Hopkins is in char- was in charge of the at least the stages. I think he... I don't know if he's MDing the whole match, but I think he's at least in charge of the stages this year. So I, I expect the stages will be will be good stages. I don't think they're going to be. I just expect that they're going to be good stages coming from Matt. So yeah, that's that's the hope. You know, the where it gets tough is man, those Charlies add up fast, right? Like mm-hmm. they they really. I mean, shooting as major, like man, shooting major, you can shoot a lot of Charlies. And then you shoot yeah. minor and you shoot just a couple of Charlies and you're like, dang, he still shot better points than I did. <laughs> I only had, I only had three Charlies and it's like, well, that's, that is the challenge. Yeah, just skip, skip your next five Charlies and just tag a no shoot. And it's all the same. <laughs> that's true. The, 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 what, In where minor. it gets, where it hurts is, you know, like you shoot a stage and shoot it pretty well. But you just get you just keep having those edgers, right? Those ones that are just half inch, inch out, and you end up with like eight or nine Charlies. You, know, you have yeah. like 12, 12 alphas, eight or nine Charlies, and it's like I literally have a miss worth of penalty worth of points down. Right. You're like, like, it, well, it better be fast. You're right. right. Uh, well, when you when they're all edgers <laughs> like that, it's not fast enough. Nobody's <laughs> nobody's fast enough in minor to shoot half and half. <laughs> not usually, not usually. I mean, not in a cont- not 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 against competition, right? Right. So yeah, that'll be that's going to be really interesting, I think, to see because I don't. Yeah, Jeff was talking before the show that we haven't ever we haven't ever done this before where I was minor and he was major. So that'll be kind of an interesting, interesting dynamic into it. I I'm loving it because yeah. Nils is Nils is on our squad. He's shooting production, so he's ten rounds minor. I can just shoot Nils's plans. I don't have to come up with stage <laughs> plans. I'll just whatever Nils does. I'll just do that. A little and bit. Nils slow. is out there thinking. I'm just going to do what Jeremy does. <laughs> yeah, it's actually not true. Well, that Nils is going to do anything, or that I do everything Nils does. Because sometimes Nils does stuff that is like, yeah, Nils can do that. I'm not, I'm not shooting that plan. <laughs> the risk reward is maybe not worth it for me with that plan. So maybe right. I won't shoot it or I just don't have the ability, like just plan. I don't yeah. have the ability to shoot it quite like he does. I am, uh, I am stoked to have you McLean and Nils to like, to reference hit factors with like the whole match and see like times yeah. and hit factors for every single stage. That's, like if nothing else, it's gonna be a great training match. Yeah, it's 
It's going to be a lot of good. Feedback. Yeah, you're going to walk off every stage as a squad knowing knowing where it where it stands. There's nobody else shooting somewhere else that is likely to to move that right. around much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For for low cap yeah, yeah, you can just put not even just single stack, but for low cap, yeah, you'll know kind of where you're sitting for the whole the whole match. Which which is cool. Jeremy Jeremy gets really like you pay a lot closer attention than I do to that stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'll just kind of like I'll I'll hear what the scores are. It's like, oh, you won this one barely, and then I'll like go to the next one. Okay, I won this one comfortably, and then I'll just go on like that, and I'll just kind of get a like a That's feel. An interesting for, example you choose, right? Exactly. But yeah, it's yeah, uh, very. But that's kind of how I, like I gauge a match is like I don't uh, I don't I don't really math it. I just kind of go off feel, and it's like okay, well he. He kind of won that one. I kind of won this one. I lost that one. So if you, if you get rid of winning and losing and you just think about every, and I know you don't want to do the math, but if you just think about every, every stage is just match points. It's not winning or losing. It's not percentage, just match points. And you're all shooting the same time, more or less, right? With the people you're competing with, then your points down are your match points down. Because you can, again, not when there's three or four people, but you say in the nationals, someone is going to shoot that time with basically clean points, right? So whatever the time is, whatever your points down, that's how many match points you dropped on that stage. And if you did that tally, that tally alone, you'll be within a percent of where you are at the end of the match. Really? That's in a big match. match. If you're at the top, that doesn't work. If you're not at the top, that's, that's not true at all. If you're, if you're on track to finish 75%. Right, but if yeah. You're, but if, if you're, you're if somewhere you're in, in the top, the time is the time. Whatever points you're down, that's how many match points you lost. Right. So you like, shot four Charlie, you dropped four points. Right. Mm, that's pretty interesting. But no, I don't track it that close. I'll just kind of go off feel, and then since it is split into two days, I can like recalibrate at the beginning of the second day, and know where we're at going into that day and then go off the field again. But Jeremy <laughs> will probably know where we're at, you know, going into the last stage, last couple stages. And I hope it's tight. I, I really will... do. I hope it's with John too. I hope it's really tight where you guys have to make decisions about risk and, and what you're going to do. I will. I mean, I certainly, I hope that I will know like going to the last three stages, I'll kind of want to know where it's at. And not have Jeff know. lie to you about his hit factor on a stage. Correct. That is That, that would is never correct. happen. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you guys haven't mentioned that in a while. No, uh, no, but that's don't worry. That's in the back of my mind. Uh, <laughs> it's like, what did you show get on me? that no. one, Jeff? Oh, yeah. oh, it was uh, nine seconds uh, down two. Yeah. He's not, he's not even going to ask me anymore. He's just going to go look. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the printout and I, I can't remember if they are up will upload to the practically competitor might be all during digital. the match. It might, it might be go, it might be going straight to your email without a printout. Uh, I so hope so. That I would know. be that would be cool if if that's the case because then I don't really need to track at all before the last few stages. And I'll I'll be honest, I in the past like I yeah I track scores fairly closely, but I'm not actually 
it may surprise you if I'm not actually doing the math on every stage as far as what are the points down, but mm -hmm. you, you can pretty easily get a sense, you know, this was a big point stage and, and Jeff was a half a hit factor higher than me. And then it was a, uh, the next one was a, a short hit factor, a, a small point stage. And I was a half a hit factor higher than them. Well, okay, even though the hit factors look like we split it, he's probably still up 10 or 15 points, just roughly. And that I'm usually yeah. actually pretty close in in doing just kind of that simple, that simple version yeah. of math. I, I usually can be pretty darn close. Do yeah. you round um, some for yourself? Uh, no, I, 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 I'm fairly honest with it, with what it is. Um, but I'll be, I'll be completely honest. I am, I'm starting to get a point. I might make some people happy and some people mad with this revelation. Like, cause I was struggling with it at the governor's cup is I was wanting to race Bob. I was wanting to compare scores with Bob the whole time. And I was actually fighting with myself to simply like, I'm here to try to prove I'm trying to prove what I'm doing in practice. I'm trying to execute what I'm doing in practice here. I'm not necessarily mm -hmm. trying to compete here. Uh, I'm like, that's, I just trying to execute that to the best that I can. And, and so that's, I'm really trying to, even though we have this race going on, we have this competitiveness that's going on. And I, I love that part of it. I'm here for that part of it. But when I'm shooting, I am, I'm really there not to, while I'm shooting, I'm not shooting to beat you. I'm shooting to try to shoot as well as I can to execute my process as best I can. And. Oh, Jeff, what does that smile mean? Are you so proud of him <laughs> right now or are you heartbroken? I can't tell. I, that's what I think there's, I think there's going to be both of that. But you, you're feeling something, Jeff. Oh yeah, I was just feeling how I was constantly going to bring up the competitive aspect of it, like the whole match. Now, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Because because he, he just said, "Hey, hey, I have this open wound here. Please, like, be really careful around here. Don't bump me right here." <laughs> hey, I'm trying. I'm trying to think about this and the aspect of you know just just doing my thing and 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 doing my training. So yeah, it's like after every shot, every time someone shoots. What was your hit factor? Oh, okay, yeah. Hmm. But that's so. <laughs> uh, but that's but counter. He's done this to you, Jeff. You've you've had somebody do this to you who is not, in fact, racing with you. You've had this happen, right? That is not racing with me. Well, they think they are. But they uh -oh. ask you after every stage. Hey, what was your hit factor on that? And like at a certain point, you want to politely say, "Oh no, 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 my hit factor doesn't matter." Like you're not, you're not close to me <laughs> this match. <laughs> like you need to worry about your hit factor, buddy. Uh, really, nobody's. You've never had somebody who's, who's asking you. I don't you? think so. No, I don't think so. We shoot with different people. I mean, I ask people that all the time that I am not in the running with. Like usually, like open and and CO shooters. You know, I'm shooting. Around. They just want to know. All the time, even at majors, I'm like, "Hey, what, what was your time? What's your time on this? What was your hit factor?" <laughs> well, yeah, you want to know what's possible. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'll definitely be doing that to Jeremy, hands down. It's gonna be all scores all the time. 
I uh, I don't actually believe Jeremy. Jeff, you're looking a little slow. <laughs> right. You should, you should step on the gas a little bit, Jeremy. I'll, I'm pretty sure I'll be quite aware of where the scores are at. I, I don't think I will actually be unaware. Uh, that would be. I just can't. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can do that. Even if that would be is what would be best for me, I don't think I can do that. But the, oh no, but you my, just have to know. It's just who, how, who you are and how you are in the world. It's yeah. Is not knowing would cause more anxiety than whatever pressure knowing creates. Like but, just, maybe. It would, but but hopefully my the goal is that I get to where I can I can know where it's at, but I'm still I'm still just trying to do what I do. I'm still oh, just trying course. to do. Yeah, that, I'm still yeah. just trying your, to do my your process thing. is independent of that information. That information is right. something you're interested in knowing because that's just who you are in the world. Like Correct. You want to know things, and now you know this thing. But what you're going to do, you know, on stage seven is what you're going to do on stage seven. Right. Right. So. So that's oh, yeah. do you, do you want to share what you've been doing in training that that you're proofing? Uh it's not it's not anything groundbreaking. I am not doing anything crazy. Um so I mean so so my training right now is it's all stage scenario based. I've talked about it a lot in the past. It's I get two reps on something and then I change it and do something different. And and the, the goal is that your first one puts pressure on your second run some way, somehow. Either your first run was really clean, and it's like, okay, I've got to try to beat that, which means I have to be just as clean, but a little bit faster to beat it. Or even your first run, even if your first run was bad, that can still put pressure on your second run because your second run is like, okay, I just, I just have to shoot consistent. And that's a good pressure to have too because sometimes that's all you need in a match is you just have to be able to shoot consistent. So there's there's that aspect of it, but it's it's just trying to it's trying to stay focused on it's trying to stay focused on the fundamentals, which for me is mostly trigger press related, but it mm-hmm. it includes grip, sight, picture, all of that other stuff as well. But it's mostly trigger press related, and trying to stay focused on that and executing that in the match. That was what uh, in Wyoming. That was what I, I was, I was disappointed that I was not able to execute that better. So I came away from that match thinking, okay, I need to get faster, which is true, but I also still don't know if I execute the fundamentals for an entire match. If I execute those well, where I'll where I'll end up. Uh, I, so I, I still have a really don't know that. Opinion, and I want yeah. you to tell me I'm wrong here, or Jeff can tell me okay. I'm wrong, but. I suspect it'll be more you. I think there's a sneaky thing that happens with scenario-based training that gives us distorted expectations. And what it is, is when you shoot a scenario and you change something every other run, if most of the things are still where they are, you're still getting essentially subconscious reps on the same shooting challenge. That's true. And, And so for me, at least when I do short stages, I get comfortable. And then I shoot really well when I'm comfortable. And then I go to a, a match and I'm like, all right, let me do my process. And I have this one cold run. I don't feel the pressure, but I just, the execution isn't that clean. And then I think, you know, I've been shooting mini stages for the last month and I've, the execution's been really clean. 
But that's because the execution on nine-tenths of my mini-stages are really like a subtle repetition because I'm presented with similar challenges again and again. And it mm. takes so much work to like dramatically alter it. I've started thinking, and somebody else gave, put this idea in my head, for mini-stages, I should set up a field of options, you know, put out 20 targets, and I'm only going to shoot four of them. And so now mm -hmm. there's something like genuinely different, right? And they're at different distances and there's walls or obstacles. It's a little bit more upfront setup time. But when I set up like two walls, a barrel stack, four targets, and I drag them around and I change the start position, I think I end up really uh, repping my way into subconscious performance instead of executing my way into subconscious performance. Yeah, like, so that that very much is an issue. And it's it's actually a, a big issue for me because I can leave all my target stands all set up. And so then you go out and you set up targets and it's like, I, do I want to drag these target stands around and move them? It's like, well, no, I kind of like where they are. I like the I like the percentage of close targets and far targets that I have. Like it always ends up with that same percentage. But what I've done differently this year than I've done in the past, in the past, I've always used walls, walls and fault lines. And so that that will give you, yes, very specific shooting positions. But what I'm doing this year is is basically using cones. They're actually wall stands that how we use our wall stands. They're basically just a piece of steel that's a wall stand. But I use those as shooting positions. So then I can engage any target in my bay from any of those. So I can have the same target array that I can engage close and I can engage it from a far position i can game it from a side position i can game it from a a lot further away so that's a way that that i can address a little bit of of your issue because yeah the, the challenge the challenge of of why i don't like drills is because you learn what cadence you can shoot a drill at right even if it's a long complicated drill you shoot it once and then you learn oh this target i need i can split hard on this target or oh i need to shoot slower on this or oh this array of steel i actually need i need to be more stable on like you, you learn that right and so that's that's the challenge of then that where that doesn't translate to matches so well and this is a way to combat that a little bit and i i will say i believe it has been effective and today's practice was a really good explanation of that because my first times versus my second times on on my scenario stages, whatever you want to call that, I wasn't seeing a dramatic get faster. Even even the do very have, first one of the day, I wasn't seeing. Do you that. have a number you put on that? Like roughly, like a ballpark? As far as percentage of time? No, not really. But like, I mean, it's in the past, it would be very common to shoot a stage. And then the second time, I'm just going to assume that I'm going to be a second and a half fast. Like, say it's a, uh, say it's a 12. Stage, yeah, and then you can get it down to seven seconds. 12-second stage, you can get it down to 10 and a half just with one repetition. Correct. Yeah. And so, and so now you're getting going out there and shooting in 11, and then the second time, it's 11 again. Or it's 10.90 or 11.2 or whatever. But it's... You're right. It's even sometimes even slower the second time. Yes. Yeah, so I'm getting that that execution higher on that first time through. So I think that has been a good a good thing for me is is going to cones rather than walls. And I will every every once in a while set up walls so that we have hard leans and stuff like that. But going more to cones and using just that as positions so that I can mix up 
without really having to move the target stands, I can mix up where I shoot stuff from. You can, you can make wide transitions real easily uh, that way. And so you can really kind of have a lot of variety with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging out probably one, two, two, four, six or seven pieces of paper. And then I've got seven or eight pieces of steel that just kind of stay up out there randomly in the bay. And that's kind of what I, what I'm working with right now. So what Jeff, I, potato that was, what, what are your, I, I was answering on, your question. Your thoughts but, on that? Potato. What are your thoughts on, on what Jeremy just said? Like, does that resonate with you? No, but we're also different. Like it's not, I mean, in my short time playing this game, every time I'm pretty convinced now I know like what I need to be doing six months or nine months later, it turns out there's a whole domain of training. I wasn't paying attention to that would have been very beneficial. So like, I, I never, I genuinely have no opinion on what other people need to be doing. I assume that people who are paying attention are, are probably responding to a need in their own training. Yeah. I know for me, yeah. my live fire this year hasn't been as productive in the past because I started doing a lot of a lot of mini stages where I'm just getting better at the kinds of challenges I present. And it sounds like Jeremy's thought about that and, and sort of why. What do you think about it, Jeff? That's yeah, so question. that's kind of what I was asking is if that that concept resonated with you. Where like you set up this stage and you you try to run it all these different cold ways, but you really end up, like you were saying, getting subconscious reps on the same the same challenges, and uh, so not exactly achieving what you're trying to essentially. But that that makes sense to you, right? As a way to get past that, or as a thing to do, just that that concept that that that's an issue for for you. Oh, for me, absolutely. I'm like Jeremy. Like, if if I could just rep out progress and just mm -hmm. mindlessly rep out progress, if it was just like chalking up miles, I would do that. Mm -hmm. um, the the being mentally dialed in and really paying attention to what my hands are doing or my eyes are doing or my feet are doing, whatever it is I need to pay attention to, that's like real work, and my it's hard to to do for any length of time. I would so much rather just like pick the weight off the floor and then be stronger at the end of it. Uh, so yeah, it's always okay. a challenge to yeah. figure out how to unoptimize my training because I'll, I'll make it very efficient and, and just sort of groove along pathways that I've already built without yeah. really growing. I was just listening to you guys talk about that. And I was thinking there's something very fundamentally different in the way that, that you guys approach i don't know it's kind of hard to explain training i guess or shooting in general than the way that i do or i guess it's really in drills when when you said you, this, there's a reason you don't like drills is because you get used to okay well i can just shoot this cadence on this target kind of deal um and so that's what's that for me is what's like super fundamentally different in the way that that i train this is like i don't ever have a lot of targets right like the most targets i ever set up is two pieces of steel and two pieces of paper i have no walls i have no barriers uh that's it 
two paper, two steel, open field. And so my Gravity training is... Your berm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a berm. Thanks. Um, no, it's gravity. It'll, it'll fall. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> um, so my training is always very much... It's very drill-based, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but like for extended periods of time, I would go to the range and just set one target up. Um, and it's because like my whole focus during a training session is like the fundamental. Like I don't ever get used to a cadence or, or anything like that because I'm hyper fixated on a trigger press or I'm hyper fixated on the way that the, the slide is bouncing around um, or something like that. So there's just, it was just interesting to me. I wasn't saying anything was wrong or right or anything like that. I just thought it was interesting. Like the fundamental difference in, in training styles. So what I hear you describing is sort of observational training. Like you go and you shoot and then you pay attention mm -hmm. and then the, the way the slides tracking bothers you or excites you. And so you want to do more of it or less of it or, or, or the way your, your, the gun moves in your hand doesn't feel right. And so you attend to that, but you're not, you're not trying to accomplish something. You don't care about a result. You're, you're shooting and you're paying attention and then you're improving. Is that right? Like observation. Yeah, training. pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Like almost all of my training is just observational training. Like I have to really remember to even look at the timer. Uh, because usually the timer is like, I, I have really to care. fight myself not to look at it. And it's, it's like a really, really hard thing. And I, in my training benefits, when I don't look at it, I'm like, don't look at the time. There's nothing you need to know because my brain wants to win. And so if I set yeah. up a drill, I will cheat myself to win the drill. Like I will have the mm. worst grip in the world because it's a good enough grip to get two shots. You know, if you want me to do four aces, I will find a way to biomechanically accomplish that faster, <laughs> but I will learn nothing. Uh, I won't learn anything that's portable to a, uh, a stage. I will learn how yeah. to succeed at that drill, like even doubles. I will somehow cheat my vision, my grip and, and my cadence to make the holes appear in the same spot in a way that's not repeatable in the stage context. Um, okay. uh, practical accuracy, trigger control at speed. You know, I, I cheated my grip. I didn't mean to, but doing trigger control at speed, I realized at a certain point, I have a trigger control at speed grip that I don't use anywhere in shooting, except when doing the drill trigger control at speed, because it prevents my sights from moving at all. When I press the trigger uh, really quickly, um, interesting. I didn't plan that. That's just how my brain works. It wants to optimize. And so if you give me a drill, I want to win it. Um, right. and to do observational training takes like a lot of, I really have to set myself up for that. I don't just go to the range and that happens. If I go to the range and I shoot a drill, like I'm going to, I'm going to make my time or my hits better. So what is, what is the type of training that, that you normally do? Like, what would it be called if not observational? No, I try and do observational training and I try and put myself in context where I can pay attention to what my eyes are doing or my hands are doing. It just takes a lot yeah. of work. That's not natural to me. Natural. I want, I want to rep out a drill and just get better at the drill. Like that feels comfortable. I mean, I want to train like you're describing. It just doesn't come easy to me. Hmm. 
But like if 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 I let myself, I would I wouldn't be competitive with the real fast build drill guys, but I would try. Like I would go to the range and shoot thirty thousand rounds in a year just trying to shoot fast build drills. Oh I, yeah. That would be interesting to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I could do I could easily do the same thing. I could fall into that hole. So I don't yeah. shoot them. Really? Like and look at the time. I, I'll, if I shoot a build drill, I'll look at what my dot was doing or I'll look at the hits. I do not care about the time because otherwise I'll try and chase it lower. That's interesting. So that's why I, I suck at Instagram shooting. It's because I'm <laughs> not trying to beat the drill. Apparently, that's the core yeah. of Instagram shooting is winning drills. And yeah. this is, this is why there's a lot of very good Instagram shooters. And some of them are also great shooters. Yeah. yeah cool. You can do both. Um Right, it'd be nice to be able to do both, huh? Hmm. Anyway, I, I, was, I think that's the first time I've actually, maybe not, who knows, we've talked about training so many times, but I felt like the first time I picked up on that difference in our uh, training focuses, I guess, and what you're thinking about when you're training and what you're trying to achieve and all that. Um, anyway, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, and the the other thing that I'll say like is a benefit of what I what I've put focus on has been a benefit for me this year is the visualization aspect of my training, which is if you're doing the same drill over and over and over, you kind of lose that visualization aspect because it's just well I've already visualized this and I've actually already done it twenty times, so I'm just and I'm gonna do it another twenty times. You kind of lose that aspect of it. So it this I've really taken an opportunity this year to spend the time before every run really going through a pretty detailed visualization and practicing visualizing. Like uh, that yeah. may sound weird, but that's something that I practice a lot is is visualization, and I I think that's been fairly helpful to me. Uh, yeah. In, in in practice, I haven't shot enough matches for to see to see the like the benefit under stress but in in practice that has been that has been very beneficial to me uh to be able to do that at that at that level so that that's another thing that i really like about it is getting to practice that part of it is this the are you visualizing before a lot of runs and practice uh that is something that's very difficult for me i don't do it a lot i try to make myself do it more but that is one thing that is very difficult for me to do is to like just stand there and, and visualize before I do it. Like I want to do something. I want to shoot rounds. I want to hold the gun. I want to I do all these things. And like I don't – it's hard for me to take the time to visualize, especially since I'm like when I'm working around the house, when I'm shooting, when I'm going to the range, I'm always – and I've been trying to get myself to slow down, but I'm always in a hurry. I'm always like, get to the range, set up. 42 minutes, and I got to be out of yeah. here. Yeah, it's like I'm always in a rush, and it kind of like keeps my anxiety just like keeps like peaking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, so, that's the aspartame. Yeah, probably. Right. Lack, of, lack of sleep, one of those two. Um, so I'm already standing out there trying just to get myself to like breathe like slow down like you're here to shoot stop rushing this like just you're here to do this thing why are you thinking about getting out of here uh 
so then to take it a step you, further and just stand there and visualize is even harder. So, yeah. Can you visualize a drill as you're driving to the range? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've done that. Yeah. Is that Actually, it's do? a great way to go to sleep. Just lay in bed and visualize the stage. I put you know, this I in thought the, I, I put this in the Discord a while back. I was uh, it was when Jay was talking about visualizing, and so I wanted to practice visualizing. So in order to go to sleep, I just laid in bed and visualized my morning, what I was going to do when I got up. And so I, dude, I visualized like every damn step that I was going to take, <laughs> and. It was like I didn't even like make it to the kitchen and like mix up my pre-workout before I fell asleep. Like I was trying to visualize <laughs> like like swinging my cover off, first foot on the floor, walk to the corner, grab my phone, unplug it, drop the cord quietly, don't wake up the wife, walk to the door, make sure I don't trip over anything, close the door, use my finger to make sure I don't slam the door and make too much noise. A turn and dude i visualized everything and yeah it put me right to sleep that's amazing that's, yeah, good. that's a good trick all, so. yeah yeah well this has gone this has been a it's been a great discussion <laughs> I, I hope I hope people have got stuff out of this I, I mean I feel like we've covered stuff like this before but yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think visualization stuff is really important, but it, it is fascinating that how different people find ways to practice effectively. And there's lots of people yeah. out there who are v practicing very inefficiently. But don't just take a class from one person and have them tell you this is how a good way to practice and assume that that's the most efficient way for you. I have, I have wasted years of my career and hundreds of thousands of rounds trying to do stuff the way other people, I thought other people were doing it rather than what made sense for me. And, and, and what's so, yeah. crazy is you probably weren't even doing what they did to get as good as they are. You're doing a story they made up after they were good about how they think someone could be as good as them. Mm, it's not true. what they did. It's, it's right. like movement. I remember this is years ago, not to pick on, but somebody was talking to Steger about movement. It's like, well, how did you learn like your entries? He's like, oh, box to box drills, but nobody's willing to do that anymore. So we've come up with these other methods. It's like, well, <laughs> sounds like box to box drills are a pretty good method. If right. you know you and like your whole cohort of people, that's if that's how Max and Travis learned their entries was box to box drills. Maybe that is a really good way. Yeah. To yeah. So like, he, listen to other people take tidbits from other people like try to incorporate that stuff but yeah don't be afraid to do your own thing like how jeff's describing his practice i i have practiced like that in the past but it's it doesn't it doesn't carry over it doesn't stick like it's it's not effective for me as far as advancing my skill set and yeah. But obviously, it works well for him, and so like I, I think that's that's an interesting part of almost anybody's journey in this this sport is trying to figure out figure out what works, but then also figure out what works for you. 
Yeah. So yeah. I, I I was trying to train a couple of years ago with someone at a real similar sort of skill plateau, and it was just too frustrating because we'd get out to the range and everything about how we interacted with the range was different. And it's like, yeah, if I do what you're doing, there's no value. And you could tell, like, he was kind of irritated with me. Like, this is what you do? Like, how, you know, how are you sometimes beating me if this is what you come out here and do? I'm like, hey, man, I feel the same way. I have no idea how you're beating me with the, the nonsense you're practicing. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot of paths. I that's actually, a, that's actually a really great strategy that I love is if you have somebody who's kind of close to you in skill set, go out and just and shoot with them but they set up to practice and you practice their way and then go out another time and you set up practice and they practice your way not don't try to mix the two but each of you shoot how the other person practices and you may have some good feedback for them that can make their practice better and they may have some for you but you may learn something from how they practice Absolutely. Which could be which could be really good. So I, I I think that's if you have that ability and that option to train with somebody close to your skill set, then that's a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah, I've done that a couple times. I hadn't got the opportunity to do it a lot, but a couple times, and it it's always very beneficial just to get inside somebody else's mind and. Uh, it's like you're you're presented with a challenge that you couldn't have come up with. I think that's kind of what I like about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like really, yeah. this is what you do? Yeah. It's like okay, I'll try and do it. Let's go. I also yeah, I wonder. Sh- I, I have to wonder if Jeff's what I'm going to call limited practice, like as far as like his limited setup and all that, is somewhat just him adapting to his lack of resources. <laughs> I mean, it's not somewhat. <laughs> well, this is like well, when you just, guys talked about round counts a few years ago, and Jeff's like, yeah, I shoot the rounds I have because it's like the primers I have and the time I have, not because like, I yeah, thought 12,000 yeah. was the optimum <laughs> number of rounds. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, but that is, that is somewhat the question. Even if, even if you had your own private bay in your backyard and you could have 100 targets set up at once, maybe for you, just having two or three targets and two or three pieces of steel is the most efficient, most efficient way because that's like, that's just, that's what works for you. And so you wouldn't need to have the whole elaborate setup. Yeah. We'll never know. Or you might yourself getting distracted trying to create Instagram runs on your massive setup. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to trying to nail that perfect activator sequence with your three yeah. movers and your private range, uh, spending six hours until you finally capture the run where you just hit everything <laughs> just the right time. Ah, I can go in now. Shoot, shoot nine hundred rounds to capture that one run. It's like training. But you're very right, Jeremy. Like I practice that way because I pull up to the range and it's bare. And I have to drag everything that I'm going to shoot out of my truck and set it up. Uh, and I have limited time because I need to get home and all that. So it's it's very much a product of of the way my life's set up. But I do, yeah, I do wonder what what would my training style be like. I mean, we'll never know. But that is an interesting question. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I think it is for sure. So, all right. Well, this um, has been a great podcast. But you, you do actually have to quickly do your sponsor shout outs, if only to acknowledge the fact that Billy has kept a smile on all of our faces nonstop <laughs> with his absolutely absurd humor and running commentary that no one else gets to appreciate, but we all see. <laughs> that is true. The, the comments in the chat tonight, uh, I've just not been able to, to really comment with Billy or, or respond to any of it. Cause it's like, I, I don't have the capacity to have that conversation while I'm having this other conversation, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. One of Are those messages was like, it was like the full freaking screen. I looked over there and I was like, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't read that right now. <laughs> nope. Nope. Out on that one. Uh, uh, Billy wants us to reread nope. his last, his last shout out, which was, hold on. Let me find it. Oh, shout out to the number one Joel Park fanboy Instagram account, Mac and Pood. Mac and Pood. It's me. I'm Joel Park's number one fanboy. Joel Park getting the shout outs. And Billy was the OG pay piggy because he was like the first one to pay for shout out. Or it wasn't even shout outs back then, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was shout out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, Billy McScrublord, also known as at Mac and Pood on Instagram, joining us. Thank you, Mac and Pood. No, we don't have any other shout outs, but we do want to shout out Shooter's Connection for sponsoring today's episode. So thank them for sponsoring and supporting the sport run by competitive shooters. They're doing same day shipping. Got everything you need for competitive shooting all your range supplies all your gun parts and so the 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 discord we got like this real 1911 thing going on right now in here um so i'm thinking there's going to be some 1911 parts here bought pretty soon but yeah so support shooters connection and support the podcast thank you guys for everybody that's in the discord everything thanks for supporting us that's it for shout-outs and sponsors. What else? Uh, just, yeah, 1911 single stack is going to be the busting division next year, I think. it It's everybody's favorite gun. Yeah, well... Whether they, whether they admit it or not, it's everybody's favorite gun. Yeah. I mean, you need to like do... Every gun I had a prejudice against, I end up enjoying. You know, it's so when I got into <laughs> to guns as an adult, it's like, well... You know, I don't want to like Glocks. And then you get a Glock and you're like, man, actually Glocks are pretty great. And you're like, well, you know, I get, I'll get i get something that's G3 based. I don't want an AR. And you get an AR and you're like, oh, man, yeah, ARs are great. Then you, and then you get, you know, a 1911 and you shoot it in a match. And you're like, oh, man, 1911s are great. So it's like, oh, man, all the popular things are popular for a reason because they're good. It's like people like vanilla ice cream because it's tasty. Uh, <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> But it's you, true, Jeremy. It's true. You so need the to more do, people we can get shooting it, the better. Yeah, you need to do what Sauerland is doing, and you need to run the area matches and and build the hype for single stack. 
I can't do it financially, but you it could do it. I I don't think I'm in that much that much difference of a financial situation to where I can shoot every single area match. Uh, maybe financially, you can do it. You can do or it. Or we may, could split them up. Maybe like you maybe. could do four and I could do four. Oh, so it's just the hit factor. It's the goal is for the hit factor podcast to win. Oh, yeah. I mean, that means we be can't both shoot area three though. Name, but well, I guess you have to forfeit. You know, if you could do the two of you do a do a single stack sweep, and then somebody's going to win nationals. I mean, that would be that would be fun be if, cool. as the pot, like the whole podcast, we shot every area match next year. We're, we need some yeah. new sponsors. I'm just yeah. Well, whichever one of you comes to area seven, it won't be in my backyard anymore. So. Your your chance for a free place to stay is gone. But it'll probably be in New Hampshire, which is a nice place to visit. Yeah. Oof, that's the other thing. Jeff, you can go to New Hampshire. You gotta fly. <laughs> You're not driving there. No, no. I would not I would not drive there. So but yeah, that'd be cool. I would love to do that. That would be cool. So I think Mike um, Dixon will try and win them all. Mike Dixon could win them all. I believe that. <laughs> Mike is in the chat. Uh, so, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Uh, be watching results for – this will come out – well, this will come out a week before Area 3. So, be ready to be watching those results. Limited's going to be hot. Watch the single stack race. Mm-hmm. That's going to be hot. Uh, we'll have results for the and footage of the foot race, which we have not mentioned that tonight, but that foot race is coming up. We're getting yeah. prepared for that. This is kind of like the last week to like get any gains in. I feel like because the week of the, the week of area yeah. three, you kind of got to kind of got to rest Scott up. Brown style and just be out there running six hours a day before the foot race. The three days before it. Uh, yeah. Just cram. That's, that's definitely one where you could cram <laughs> yeah. for, I think. <laughs> yeah. 400 yep. meters often won by whoever crams the most for it. If you can That's get right. 20 or 30 400s in the day before, you mm, be <laughs> great. Be great. Oh. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Like, comment, subscribe. We will try to respond to everything that we can. And uh, talk to you guys later. Peace.